Luke chapter 14 and verse 25. Now great multitudes went with him, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sister, yes, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not bear his cross and comes after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, intending to build a tower, does not sit down at first and count the cost, whether he has enough to finish it? Lest after he's laid the foundation and is not able to finish, all who sit begin to mock him. And they say, this man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, going to make war against another king, does not sit down first and consider whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000. Or else, while the other is still a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks the conditions of peace. So likewise, whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. I'm sure that you've read that set of passages many, many times. It's a set of passages that's easy to read through. And to get a wink and a nod, kind of a glib response to things. But I tell you, there is a great deal, there's a great deal to unpack and unfold in this passage. And there are a few things I want us to focus our attention on this morning. That our Lord draws attention to his disciples that he's speaking to, and by extension to me and you. This passage, this, this phrase that he utters when he says to take up his cross and follow him. When he says, verse 27, whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. That, that verse is used six times in the New Testament. Two by Matthew, two by Mark, and twice by Luke. When we hear the word cross... To bear his cross. I wonder if in our westernization of Christianity, if our westernization of the cross, if what we've not done is reduce that to a nice piece of jewelry. And I'm not speaking against a nice piece of jewelry that is in the shape of a cross. That's not the point. But that was not the connotation. And that was certainly not the thought. When Jesus was speaking, when the word cross was mentioned. The word cross was not used in a commendable kind of way. There was nothing glorious about the cross. The cross 
was an instrument used for a specific purpose. The disciples will come to Jesus and they will ask him about one sitting on the right hand and one on the left. And he will ask them the question, are you able to be baptized with baptism I'm going to be baptized with and are you able to bear the cross I am going to bear? He calls attention to his cross and he calls attention to the cross he now challenges them to take up. They had no idea what he was talking about. He will shift in his conversation with them, keeping that same line of thought and talk about the kingdom. Because one wanted to sit on the right and one wanted to sit on the left. That did not have to do with seating order at the table. It had to do with position or authority. To sit on the right would have been second in authority. To sit on the left would have been third in authority. And so what they're asking is, can we have a place of supremacy with you in your kingdom, one on the right and one on the left? Can we sit in those positions of authority with you? And Jesus challenges them. Are you really sure what you're asking me is what you really want to do? Because there's something going to be required to take up the cross. When Jesus carried his cross, there was one by the name of Simon that was compelled to bear the cross. He had no choice. He was compelled to bear the cross. But here Jesus gives his disciples a choice. Here is a cross we choose to bear. First of all, Let's look at what is not talked about when we think about what this expression, to bear his cross, really does not mean. People don't, don't bear the cross to invite trouble. People bear their cross to find peace. People don't come to Christ so they can get trouble. This is not about a get difficulty passage. This is about a passage when people have difficulties in their life, they come to Jesus for peace in their life. But that's not what this cross is about because there are a lot of people who, who are with Jesus who still have troubles in their life. Coming to Jesus does not mean all problems in life vanish and go away. There are still problems that come in life. So if to bear the cross is to bear problems, then what's the difference with what we had and what we have now? Neither is this a suggestion to say, okay, bearing the cross is when, this is when we really come and we obey him. Well, we certainly ought to respond to, Re respond to Revelation and we certainly ought to obey him, but that's not what it is because bearing the cross is something that takes place prior to that. If, if the bearing of the cross is not in place, then, then whatever takes place after that is not going to matter. So he's not saying you bear your cross, okay, you come, you bow in obedience to me. That's already had taken place. When Paul speaks about this in Galatians chapter 4, he will talk about how he bears the marks of Christ in his body. He bears the stigma, is that word marks, but he bears the scars of Christ in his body. He has the scars because 
of Christ. These are not scars he had before and he brings. He has these scars because he's come to Christ. So when we talk about bearing the cross, bearing a cross is not about, okay, I've got my pack of problems. I've got my trouble. I've got my difficulties. I've got my challenges in life. Because those challenges exist. We come to Christ and relieve, relieve ourselves of those challenges. It doesn't mean we're not going to have scars. We get those scars because we come to Christ. Paul said, I'm, ty- I'm tired of, of y'all poking at me. I'm telling you, I bear the marks of Christ in my body. Do you do that, he's saying? So it's not about difficulties. It's not about scars. It's not about obeying. Those things may, may come later. So what is the cross about? He would say, who does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Mark, Matthew will say, is not worthy of me. Cannot be my disciple, is not worthy of me. Now, cannot be my disciple is strong enough, but if you put is not worthy of me after that, is not worthy of me and cannot be my disciple, that's strong language. That's weighty stuff to consider. Jesus also in Matthew, when he utters these words, will follow with this. Whosoever shall save his soul shall lose it. Whosoever shall lose his soul shall save it. This is not a suffering passage. The bearing of the cross had to do with this. It had to do with dying. When men came to the cross, they didn't survive the cross. They didn't walk away and say, oh, I've got a few wounds. I got a scratch. No. Nobody who came to the cross survived the cross. If it wasn't the cross that was horrific enough, the things that preceded the cross were even as grossly horrific because there was scourging that took place. These Roman soldiers who were proficient in how to scourge a victim lay out exposed with all flesh, exposed to the whip of the executioner who is precise in knowing how to wield that whip. Not just a whip, but a whip that, that had different pieces of things that were cut into it, that were sewn into it, that were, that were dried into it, that would rend and tear the flesh. Many did not survive the scourging. The scourging was so horrific, a man would lose all muscle tone, all flesh, all muscle, and sometimes his inward parts would prolapse and would fall out and would die from the scourging. Scourging in the cross, no one survived. And what he's telling his disciples is, if you don't bear your cross, if you aren't willing to die, you cannot be my disciple. Those words bring me to Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20. When Paul said, I have been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. Wait a minute, Paul. You're still alive. I have been crucified. My intents, my purposes, my will, my very essence, my very core, my very being has been crucified with Christ. I have died on my cross. Paul, how can you endure everything you endure from people? 
How is it people spit upon you? How is it people beat you? How is it that people stone you? How is it that people curse you? How is it that people blaspheme you? How is it that they leave you dead and you still go on? How can you do that? Because I've already died. How do you kill a dead man? And so he says, I not only bear the marks of Christ in my body, I have died to him. All my intents and purposes have been crucified. And it's he that lives in me. And that's what Jesus is telling these disciples. And that's why, as Matthew will say, if we aren't willing to do that, it's not we just cannot be his disciple. We cannot. But he said, we are not worthy of him. There will be no glory that will come to him if that has not taken place. But there's something else that I think that comes right with that. Because he also says, whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. And some say, and deny himself. Whosoever can bear his own cross and deny himself cannot be my disciple. Taking up the cross is about something else. It's about self-denial. Look at chapter nine, Luke chapter 9. Look at Luke chapter 9. Read this here in Luke chapter 9. Begin, begin with me in Luke chapter 9 and verse 20. See this language here. This is what I'm referring to. Luke 9 and verse 20. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Peter answered and said, the Christ of God. And he strictly warned them, commanding them to tell this to no one. The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised the third day. Third day. Then he said to them all, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. For whosoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my life, for my sake, shall save it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world? And himself be destroyed. So Luke 14, he talks about bearing the cross. Luke chapter 9, he talks about bearing the cross, but denying self and taking up the cross. Denying self and taking up the cross. Those aren't one thing. They're two separate things that speak to the same thing. It's an A and a B thing. Denying self and taking up the cross are both the same thing. But there's something else about denying self that helps understand the taking up the cross. When he says deny self, we need to understand he's not saying deny self things. Okay, I'm going to deny myself. I'm going to go on Nutrisystem. And on Nutrisystem, I'm going to deny myself everything that's not on Nutrisystem. I'm going to deny myself for Nutrisystem's sake. Now, he's not saying, okay, you're going on a diet, you're going to change your eating habits, and you deny that that's your self-denial. That's not what he's talking about. To deny self was something more significant than that. To deny self was to deny self 
rule of self. To deny self is to deny self rule of self. When Paul said, I have been crucified with Christ, he's saying my ego and my pride have all been denied and put on a cross. What Paul is saying, and when the Lord speaks about denying self, as he says, I no longer call the shots. I no longer determine what I do, what I say, and where I go, and how I behave. I deny the rule of myself. And what Jesus is telling us here, until and unless we are willing to deny ourselves the rule of ourself, we cannot be his disciples. Now, there is the challenge. It is one thing to speak in a figurative sense that, okay, we're going to die on a cross. Nobody's putting nails in our hands. I'm not really suffering the pain of that. And we can say yes to that all day long. But when it comes now to deny self, deny self, rule of self, that's not partially deny self, rule of self. That is to absolutely, completely, 100% deny self, rule of self. When someone went to the cross, it wasn't 90% of them went to the cross, and they kept 10%. It's not half of them went to the cross, and they maintained half. They went to the cross 100% because they have 100% denied themselves, rule of themselves. Nevertheless, not my will. But thy will be done. That's what he said going to the cross. What enabled Jesus to drink that bitter cup? Because I have denied my will, myself, for his will. His will is enthroned in my heart. And his will is the one that determines who I'm going to be and how I'm going to behave. There's a young man that came to Jesus and asked a very important question. What must a man do to have eternal life? And Jesus says to him, you need to keep the law. And the young man responds and says, I have done that from my youth up. And so what Jesus is saying, if that is true and you have really denied yourself, then you won't have any problem with this next statement. Go sell all you have and give to the poor. Whoa, time out. I'll deny myself to a point, but now you've quit preaching and you've gone to meddling. And now you're telling me to have eternal life, I'm going to have to give all I have to the poor. We're going to have to renegotiate this. I'll give you part of myself, but I can't give you all myself. Because I've got a lot of wealth out here. No, Jesus says, here's, here's the deal. If you want to have eternal life, you're going to have to deny yourself. And he wasn't saying deny yourself all your money. What he's saying here, you said you've kept the law. If you've kept the law and you've submitted to the law, then you shouldn't have a problem with this one thing. 
Sell all you have and give to the poor. Because if you have kept the law and you've submitted to the law, then you understand what denying yourself is and you understand that covetousness is not going to be a problem for you. Because you said you kept the law from your youth up. But it was a problem. Because it says the young man went away sorrowfully. Disappointed what Jesus required of him because he was not willing to yield the throne of his heart to Jesus. I have to ask myself this. So I make this next statement. I know it sounds indicting. But I'm indicting myself at the same time. How many of us. This has come to Jesus moment here. How many of us have done just what that young man did except for this? We said we'll come and we'll let somebody immerse us. And we'll go through the formulation of being baptized so we can have the remission of our sins. But when it comes down to where the nut is really going to be cracked and where the shoe leather hits the pavement, have we really, 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 really... crucified ourselves, having denied now the rule of ourself. You know, when someone comes forward and we go through the mechanics of things, there's something more important than just the mechanics of things. Whether it's here or whether it's up there, and Jordan and I will ask that young person, do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God with all your heart? Or the older person, do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God with all your heart? And they say, I do. Do we understand what we just said? It wasn't a matter of mechanical words being put there to I do. What we're saying is I have denied myself and I have crucified my will to now be submissive to your will. I am a dead man. Will you please bury me? Because I've got no more will. I've got no more will. I have no more rule of myself. But how many of us, we have to ask ourselves, how many of us have been buried with one hand sticking out of the grave? You know, might be a convenient time to go by and grab that hand and pull that body out of the grave. May need it again out here. Might be that time I need just one more thing here. You know where the real rub comes? And we, it's impossible to, to illustrate this in application. It's just ad infinitum. But when the rub comes, it's when I read something and I find this is God's will, but I argue with that as being God's will because it doesn't jihad with my will. Understand. Me, you, or whoever, we haven't denied ourselves rule of ourselves because we're still arguing with the Lord about it. Whatever the question. Let's take one of those questionable things that we can't ever settle our minds on. But we know there's enough information in the Bible that speaks against it that we ought not to be participating in it, but we're going to argue about it anyway. Wait a minute. Have I denied myself? Have I really put myself on a cross to crucify myself? You know, preachers have spoken for years. Elders have pled for years with brethren to, to think seriously in their life about things that have to do with worldliness, of all kinds, how we dress, 
activities we involve ourselves in, dancing, social drinking, gluttony, and just going down the list. And inevitably, inevitably, the contest comes. It's not that the Bible doesn't say some things about that. It's not that the Bible doesn't say enough things about that to find that none of that is a commendable thing. The information is too plain to miss. But the real rub comes to this. Am I willing, just for that one questionable moment, that one questionable thing, am I willing, just that one questionable thing that still is in the back of my mind, I haven't solved, and that I'm using as validation for the practice, am I willing to deny myself that? Am I willing to deny myself the rule of myself for that? It's something I really want to do, I feel like I can do, but there's enough information that says this is not something I ought to do. But there's something out here that may be an exception to that. But wait a minute. Am I going to ignore the weight of information for the one thing that says I can do this? Am I going to deny myself the rule of myself? You know, Peter will say in 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 7, for husbands, live with their wife with understanding, give honor as unto the weaker vessel, a fellow heir to the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. And when he says to husbands, you live with your wife with understanding, he's not saying, look, look, fellas, you got to understand your wife. Listen, we're all going to go gray and we're all going to die before that happens. There's no man, I don't care how long you've been married, there's no man that's ever going to understand his wife. Now I can turn that around too. There's no wife that's ever going to understand her husband either. But what I can't understand is, I can understand what she wants. I can understand her wishes. I can understand her desires. I can understand her needs. I can understand her goals. I can understand how I can do her good, not evil, all the days of her life. I can understand that. And if what I do is I treat her like that fine, treasured person that she is, that God has blessed me with, who is also a fellow heir to the grace of life, then what that means is when I pray to God, my prayers are going to be heard. But he says, if I don't do that, because I've got my will, I'm not going to yield myself to that kind of husband to her. Then what Peter is saying there is, don't worry about praying don't even think about worshiping but he turns out around on the other side when he says that wives are to be reverently submissive and respectful to their husbands but now we just spit the bill on that one because we certainly don't want this submissive business taking place listen there's nobody that lives anywhere that does not submit to somebody somebody submits to somebody all the time there's only one that does not submit, and that's the sovereign God. Even in his messianic role, his delegated role, the Son is the Messiah submitted to the will of the Father. Then what makes us think that we are any better than that? The question is not, am I going to submit? The question is, am I going to deny myself? Or am I going to be like that young man that walked away? So you're telling me you can't have wealth and be a disciple. I didn't say that. 
There were some rich disciples. There were some disciples who had a lot of land. You know, when Abraham was called from Ur of the Chaldees, he didn't receive the blessing until he did this, until he left. Had never left, he'd never received the blessings. But he had to leave. And so the Lord said, if you won't forsake, if you won't forsake it all, if you won't leave everything behind, then here's how serious it is. You can't be my disciple. You're not worthy of me. Now, when we talk about putting ourselves on the cross because what we've done is denied our will so we can walk in his footsteps, we're talking about serious stuff. But when we refuse to yield our will to the reign of his will, then we're talking about some serious stuff too. Where does that crucifixion take place? That crucifixion takes place in repentance. Repentance is that crucifixion. Repentance is the crucifying of that old man. Repentance is the saying to the old man, I am putting you to death. And when I put you to death, I am going to yield my will to his will. And when you have someone who has crucified themselves, I mean really crucified themselves. They're not going one hand hanging on the cross and one hand hanging off. I mean, they're on the cross. They've died to Christ because they've denied themselves and forsaken everything else. Now you've got one that will be a disciple. But if we don't do that, we cannot be a disciple if we're not willing to do that. But I would hazard a guess. And what little powers of observation I have, that most of our challenges individually in our relationships center around this set of passages and these concepts. Oh, we may have said at one time I'm crucified and may have said at one time I deny myself may have said at one time I'm going to forsake everything else. But when that moment of decision comes, we find we really have not done that or what we've done is we've had a man raised. But the man raised was at the new man. The man raised was the old man because the will hasn't been crucified. The Lord says this. If you want to be my disciple, you're going to die. And you have to deny your will. And then you have to follow me because you forsake everything else. The person who comes to Christ is the person who's already died on the cross and now comes to be buried. And I have to ask myself, as I beg you to ask yourself, have I really yielded my ego and my will to his, to his will and his rule? And once again, for emphasis sake, I say, the problems we have in our life in which we butt heads with the Lord and butt heads with his word are because at least to that degree we have not done that. And I'm not just pointing a finger at you. I prefaced everything by saying this is self-indicting for me too. This is not about being told something, folks. 
This is not about hammering somebody. This is not about gloating about something. This is serious business about each one of us who say, who say we want to be a disciple. If there's anything that these young people we've talked about this morning so much that I could beg you to do is if when you get to be as old as Joe Fagan, will you please have already denied yourself because you have already died and willing to forsake everything else? If you do that, then you'll be as successful as a disciple as Joe Fagan. This morning, the Lord pleads, come unto me. He begs that you come. He wants you and me to be his disciples. He's not trying to push us out the door. He's trying to open his arms and welcome us in. Then please come while we stand and while we sing. Thank you for connecting with us this morning. We're so thankful that you were able to do that. If you have questions, we'd love to have the opportunity to talk to you. You can contact us at www.thebibleway.com or questions at thebibleway.com. Questions at thebibleway.com. We'd love to have you in person. Come if you can. But thank you for connecting with us.